Welcome to DCW Group's podcast, a podcast focused on life, business and property. We cover a wide range of topics related to both personal development, entrepreneurship and of course property. In this season, we have focused on talking about achieving balance and innovating for success. We have some amazing guests who bring a very different spin on this great subject. I have one request from you. Please like and subscribe to the channel. This will help us keep creating some great, hard-hitting content. Thank you. Hello, I am Dean Ward, Chief Exec and Founder of DCW Group, and welcome to the first instalment of DCW Group's podcast. Um, the subject for this week's podcast is achieving balance and innovating for success. Sounds awfully posh. Um, but we've got a really, really special guest with us today, um, namely Jane Brewer. Hello, Jane. <laughs> How are you? I'm good, thanks. <laughs> so, Jane, obviously today is all about um, uh, sort of getting to know who you are, what you do, what a little bit about the business, a little bit about life. Um, and it's a nice, simple conversation, really. So I'm going to start with that. So tell us a little bit about you then, Jane. Um, so I'm currently chief exec of a company called To Be Enterprising. We're a relatively new startup. We're just going into our third year. Um, and we put enterprise education resources into primary schools. Um, enterprise is now in the curriculum for Wales. Um, and it the, the resources, lesson plans, activities are really easy and accessible for um, primary school teachers to use and just basically to support them in teaching enterprise in the classroom. So it's really, really exciting. It's a great time to be working with primary schools. I think primary school teachers un are under a lot of pressure. So we're giving them something that they need and want. Um, but how we do that is that the schools don't pay for it. We look to businesses to take that responsibility of not only funding the primary school, but going in and speaking to young people about business opportunities, um, job opportunities, career opportunities um, that they might be interested in. Obviously, these are like little people, so we don't go into too much um it, 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 we don't sort of explain it too complicated. It's, you know, very light touch talking about their um, their businesses and their sector. So how did you find yourself in that position? Tell me a little bit more about the journey to that position. So I had worked as a business advisor, actually, on behalf of Welsh Government for around about 13 years, running my own consultancy practice um, and absolutely loved that. So basically was responsible for reviewing business plans and supporting um, people to sort of set up their own business. Um, so that was my first inroad into enterprise and gave me... Um, it gave me an insight into the fact that I could actually run my own business when I grow up. <laughs> um, I think for a lot of people running their own businesses for people that are, um, they have a lot of money or they have a lot of intelligence. Um, and I had neither of those things. So I thought, well, that's not going to be for me. But having a look through all of these business plans made me realize that there's a common denominator. There's a, there's a product or service and there's people to pay for it. And that's as simple as businesses, um, albeit at different risk levels, depending on the size of the business and sector. But um, so after doing that for about five years, I actually set up my own organization called Spark Dating, which was a speed dating company. 
um, that I ran for 10 years in Swansea. I became known as Scylla Jack um, <laughs> for setting up people um, on dates. So we ran an event every month, just one event a month. Um, uh, there was definitely demand in the market for it. It was a really lovely, safe way for people to meet each other. Um, and the age category that was probably most popular was sort of 30 to 45 because either people are sort of on their career journey and not having the time to meet you know, new people, um, or their sort of second time relationships. So it was a really lovely, um, it was a really lovely business, very profitable business. Um, and I could run it sort of in the evenings. It didn't affect my day job, but I was able to prove the point that, yeah, actually I've been able to run my own business. Um, I had a great time doing that. And then after working for myself for about 13 years, I went over to the dark side and got a proper job. Um, and, I had the most amazing experience working at Wales Millennium Centre as one of their deputy directors. Um, got to travel, got to see loads of incredible um, content, um, learnt loads about the infrastructure of a larger organisation. I'd gone from working with just sort of, you know, a couple of people and basically running my own business to working for an organisation that basically employed, you know, hundreds of people. So it was really interesting. Uh, and then I went on to be... Uh, head of employer development at Gower College before finding myself in this role. So <coughs> I'd spoken to the chairman about this opportunity when it was in its infancy about six, seven years ago. And the chairman had actually said, look, when we eventually take this to market, I'd be really interested in speaking to you about running it. And we laughed. Ha ha ha. What a crazy idea. And then four years later, here I am. Well, that's a story and a half, isn't it? I think there's a book on the way. There's got to be a book on the way somewhere. Um, okay, cool. So that, that's, that's a, a fairly reasonable journey, one would say. Um, and from an, an inexperienced perspective, it's, it's probably one of those, those journeys that, that, would it be fair to say, sort of shape your leadership profile now? Or, or is it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think particularly Wales Millennium Centre, that was, that was such an incredible learning experience. Um, working with creatives, you're working in a very different sector to what I'd worked in previously, but still it was a business. Um, I worked with the most amazing people, you know, from marketing to finance to HR to the artistic side of things was just really interesting and understanding that you have to adapt your leadership leadership style depending on who you're working with mm. whether that's an individual whether it's a group of people and I had two um, incredible leaders that I worked with totally different and they'd be laughing now if they're, they're watching or listening to this um, and one of them uh, wouldn't respond to an email unless it was sort of you know 4,000 words long the other one wouldn't respond to an email if it was longer than three words mm. so really different um, leadership styles and it taught me how to adapt um, it to working with different teams. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was amazing, um, and also working with different organisations collaboratively in different countries. Mm. Um, testing time, you know, the arts industry is a really challenging environment from a funding perspective. Um, but I've n never felt, apart from this role, you know, working at Wales Millennium Centre, I literally like felt so proud to work there in one of the most iconic buildings um yeah in in wales mm, absolutely what prompted your move 
uh, prompted my move from Wales Millennium Centre back to Swansea. Mm. Was I, you know, I was commuting. I was yeah. uh, living in Swansea, working in Cardiff. Um, transport wasn't great mm-hmm. um, to the bay, particularly. So I tried it for a little while, um, but ended up ended up driving every day. Um, and I was very much on a treadmill in all senses of the word. So I'd leave Swansea really early. I'd probably leave sort of half five get to the gym in Cardiff, so beat the traffic, go to the gym, um, run a 10K, wouldn't be able to do it now at the gym and still be in work before everybody else. Mm. Um, But that was, I was conditioned to do that and I'd often stay late because my role at the start was in communications. So we'd have press nights, who wouldn't want to stay for a press night? Um, You know, get the first glimpse of the new show. Uh, Yeah, and so... It, it was amazing, but I really enjoyed what I did there. Mm. So it didn't, you know. So the the move was the the travelling was getting getting mm. quite intense, um, and I saw a fantastic opportunity back here in Swansea where I'd be able to work with our local college. That's yeah. when I joined Gower College Swansea, mm. um, and had three or four years there. That leads me on to quite nicely to the second segment of of the podcast, which is all very much geared around sort of how to balance that personal life with business endeavours. Now, you know, both you and I have known each other for quite a long time now. And, you know, we're both very busy chief execs and we've got multiple plates spinning here, there and everywhere. How how do you balance yours? Um, it's not easy. Mm. Um, and I've spoken at lots of events actually about um, particularly women in leadership, mm trying to balance all of those things. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, it's difficult to have it all. That what is what is it all anyway? Um, and I think that if you define what it all is for you, you can get that balance. Mm. Um, so, you know, and if, if I wanted to carry on traveling or move, that's not where, that's that wouldn't be it all for me. Perhaps that would be for other people. Mm. And they think that perhaps I'm compromising you know, my development for not um, moving outside of Swansea. Um, but also, I think it's, you know, I've had, I've got children now, which again, changes the landscape, changes your responsibilities. Um, and from a logistics perspective, as well as from an emotional perspective, mm. I don't want to be, I don't want to be away for more than a couple of nights a week, you know, and then that's really hard. So it's difficult. It's difficult to get that balance. But I think what is important is to be conscious about it um, and use peer groups to understand what what is feasible and what's acceptable. Mm. I'm really lucky I've got an amazing family. I've, you know, I'm really, really lucky that I've got that support. that both of our parents live in Swansea. So we've got a good amount of support. I'm very conscious that not everybody has that. Um, so if you don't get it from your family, you have to get it from your peer group or your friends. Mm. So it's, again, it's identifying the boundaries, what are you prepared to go to? Yeah. Um, and what is it all for you? I think it's, I think it's really, you've hit on a point there where I think, we as leaders, both male and female leaders within within industry, we are so passionate about the job we do. We are guilty sometimes of forgetting that we can take half an hour off to go and watch a school play mm. or 
we can <clears throat> control our own diary somewhat. We, we sometimes get lost in that sort of, that sphere of, well, I've got to be here because the rest of the staff are here. Yeah. Do you, and this is, this is, a, this is a proper, proper deep question because I know I, I know I suffer terribly with it, but do you, um, do you, do you struggle with sort of allowing your team to do more of the heavy lifting or oh, do you feel gosh, yourself yeah. kind of oh, letting it go a little bit completely and that's not their fault that's my fault and that's yeah, yeah. something that I've no, got I completely to, agree you know, completely agree uh, and we laugh about this actually because having worked for myself for a long period of time you get used to doing everything you know down to ordering the stationery toilet roll booking your diary doing the invoices absolutely everything so and I remember actually when I went to Wales Millennium Centre I remember somebody saying to me there, there's somebody that will do that in the organisation there's somebody that that, that that that's their role um so that was great and I am really lucky that I love I love work I love this role um I feel very privileged to be in this role and I have got an amazing team um so it's about making sure that they feel comfortable to be empowered to do more, that they feel like they've got the authority to do more. And sometimes I say to them, why, why are you coming to me with that? Oh, I just want to check in. I'm like, I, I trust you to do it. Thanks for telling me, but I trust <laughs> you. So it's, you know, they're, they're trying to get that balance as well with me, but it's a very conscious effort, Dean. It's a real conscious effort because I want to see them grow. I want to see them absolutely fly. They're all super capable. Um, but it's, uh, it's making sure that you get that balance of knowing what's going on without sticking your beaking and, and, you know, making more of a mess of things because you've started getting involved when actually things are running quite smoothly. It's a real struggle for me. It's a real struggle. And I've got to consciously work on it every day. I think, I, I think I completely agree with you there because I'm, I'm exactly the same. Um, it dovetails quite nicely into the next segment in in the fact that we as um, we as human beings have our own sort of moral compass, um, our own sort of um, sort of personal values, uh, as, as you know, as, as you will. Um, do you find that you know? How do you integrate your own personal values into into your day to day business practices? Uh, we're, we're really lucky, you know, we're, we're not selling a widget, we're selling a real experience for young people, raising aspirations, inspiring them. It's really difficult not to feel passionate about Absolutely what we do. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, and I think that, you know, everybody understands the goal for the organisation. And ultimately, we've sort of, you know, we've got this sort of... Um, culture in the organization that we all have absolutely the best intentions uh, and we're all very different people you know we've got um, teachers we've got um, you know we've got marketing people we've got design people we've got those that are creating resources we've got the op staff that literally work out all of the logistics and you've been on some of our sessions it's yeah, yeah. there's a there's a lot going on there um and everybody is motivated by different things so i think that as long as we keep coming back to everyone is doing things with the best of intentions then that's that's kind of where we we our heart is that's your magic dust that's our magic yeah. dust and you know yeah it's 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 it, 
everybody feels really passionate about what we do. <coughs> the stories that people share every single day. So at any one point we could have, you know, um, eight teachers out doing three sessions each. So <coughs> they're coming back with all of these stories, um, some good and some bad. We've had some bun fights over marshmallows and spaghetti before now. Um, <coughs> but it, that just makes it all worthwhile. We had a tough day in the office and then somebody pops up with like this amazing story of how a young child, you know, five-year-old got involved in, you know, their friendship hands activity. And the teacher says they would never normally participate in a group activity. Mm. And that literally just changed. So we're lucky that we've got that. I think if we were selling widgets, I think that we'd probably struggle a little bit more because it's not as heartfelt. Mm. So it's really easy to be able to manage our own moral compass and bring it back to, are we doing everything with the best of intentions? Um, we get our off days. We all get our off days. That's what the sofa's for in the office. We're sat That's on them the today. Sofa. Yeah. And I see this as therapy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, we're also, you know, we're very female dominated team um we've got two poor chaps that work with us out of you know 20 <laughs> so um and we need that you know we need that more because we're all you know often we get quite emotional we're all very passionate um yeah it's but it's great fun I'm very I'm very very lucky you know mm. I've worked I've worked in environments you know Wales Millennium Centre it's the arts you can't fail you know the number of times mm. I've cried in that theatre mm. just emotionally um, and you know working with the college as well and, and changing lives there for young people and mm. now doing what we're doing I, I'd really struggle to work for an organisation that I didn't really believe in the product or service mm. and that didn't motivate me mm. great. every day okay Big juicy question now. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with the birth of artificial intelligence and machine learning and all the technical advancement, um, what's the role of innovation in your business? I think that we've got to get that balance. Um, you know, we're working in a very traditional industry. Mm. And I think throughout COVID, we've realised that you can't just substitute in-person teaching, learning experiences for online. Um, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of scope for innovation in the classroom yeah. and children need to be comfortable with that because that's where the jobs are going to be. So we're just getting that balance between, right, how far can we take it without losing that human learning experience, which is what the children need. They don't really understand AI and digital tools and we won't allow them to really you know there's a there's a space for that and and, and a level of um you know sort of age that they reach that they're mentally capable of dealing with that so you know we're lucky that we're working with age five plus that they still need that human contact nothing's ever going yeah. to replace that no I, I completely agree and um it's something that obviously in the session that I've just had with um, at Croix Primary, which is my son's school, um, which we which we support through to be enterprising, and it's it's fascinating that you know you you sit on a, a a desk in that classroom and there's a stack of Chromebooks, there's a stack of Chromebooks, and then they have after school clubs like Coding Club, yeah. you know Coding Club, which essentially is playing Minecraft, but there's quite a lot of logic based learning behind it and. 
it struck me the other day when, when Christopher, my eldest, come up to me and said, Daddy, um, I want to be a coder when I'm older. And I, I just, I, it takes me back thinking, well, when I was at school, coding wasn't even a thing. You know, we didn't even know anything. You know, our after-school club was either running rugby or football, you know, or, you know, it was nothing really of any great... Or violin. You know, yeah, or <laughs> vi yeah, I, I did play violin badly, it has to be said. Um, and it's, it's just fascinating how, you know, there's this big buzz in the marketplace about AI and, and the use of, you know, dare I say it, chat GPT and that sort of stuff. Now... It, it, it's fascinating because if you if you take it to another level where you go into the higher education learning, um, where you know when ChatGPT first came out, you know you had people doing their dissertations all on ChatGPT, which I find utterly frightening <laughs> if I'm honest, because you you now learn how to spot when somebody's used ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I use ChatGPT, but sparingly. I yeah. I see ChatGPT as a as an opportunity to save time in drafting something, and then going through that draft and making that more personal that more personal touch to it, um, which is more of a time saving opportunity rather than replacing it with you know with the human mind, which let's be fair is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. But you think you think to the 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 dating business as well. I mean. Um, I sort of stopped doing it for any other reason than, you know, I, I started working in Cardiff and it, it just, it wasn't possible time-wise. And because I'm that control freak, wouldn't let anyone else do it, would I? So um, in the dating world, we've very much gone on to online dating, but the number of times that, you know, I talk about that period of my life where I was still a jack, um, people are like, you've got to bring it back. We need that human contact again Absolutely. because, you know, people have had bad experiences online dating, people not turning out to be who they say they are, not looking like it, not acting like it, not not having that spark. And the business was called Spark Dating, so not having that spark. Um, and, okay, it's dating, but that's absolutely no different to business, meeting people through business. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and our children going to school. And I think, you know, we've got some lessons to learn from COVID where, you know, sort of the safeguarding aspect of certain children, you know, is really in question. And we cannot let that happen again. Um, you know, I've been into a school this morning and you're lucky if you get out of there without 25 hugs from the children. Um, and it's amazing and they feel really comfortable to do that mm. um which is lovely uh but a lot of those children go to school for that human contact yeah. for that care for that learning experience um for that role model and we're never going to get that through an artificial no. system we're not yeah. um and i think that yeah it's again i'm, I'm we have to think innovatively in yeah. our sector um, and if that means that more children can access the resources that we've got brilliant mm -hmm. um, but there's no substitute and, and sort of with the resources we go out into the school three times and that is the time that businesses love to go in and to see how their money is being spent how the resources are being used, but to, to actually be in the presence of those children and to see how much they're absorbing and how interested they are in the future 
um, and what they could potentially do. Mm. Um, and you can't predict what questions they're going to ask sometimes, which no. is the fun bit. Mm. You know, we took we took an employer along this morning and everything was really slick operationally, you know, delivery wise, absolutely on point. And but I said to them before, I said, the only thing I can cannot guarantee is the children's behaviour. And he said, but that's that's gonna be the fun bit. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. You get you get you get a load of a load of you know reactive sort of feedback for one of a better word. I, I I talk about reactive feedback quite a lot in the fact that, you know, you'd you you can't plan for the unplannable no you know so sometimes you've just got to leave it to chance sometimes and you know and, and often that's where that's where the magic is absolutely i completely agree with that right so as this is a property podcast um and life and business i think we've we've covered life and business really quite well um there's got to be a bit of a property angle in this um now I know you're not a property person, however, you are a property owner. Um, so what I want to kind of delve a little bit deeper into now, is obviously this is a bit my, my subject matter now, is to kind of get an understanding of how you, what your property journey has been mm-hmm. um, over the years, you know, buying, selling, what you've liked about it, what you haven't liked about it, and what you think could be done better. Okay. Talk, to, talk to me about that. Uh, so <laughs> I bought my first property when I was 23, actually. Wow. And I've still got that property. Wow. It's probably my favourite property. Where it's are we? really small. We're not gonna, I'm not going to ask where it is. Because <laughs> I don't Swansea. know if we, can, we, can, we can't it's share Sw- that online. It's in Swansea. <laughs> and it was like my first property. And I remember moving moving back from university and living with my going back to live with my parents for a little while. And my mum was like, um, right, you spend half, but you save half. You spend half, but you save half of your salary. And um, so I, I was fortunate enough to build up you know, a deposit. And my deposit in those days was £7,000 which is probably laughable. Um, it's, a reason, it's a reasonable <clears throat> level. But, Some people these days can't even raise that. But it was, so. you know, but mm. actually that you were able to buy a house Absolutely. with a deposit of £7,000 yeah. was like, it just seems bonkers. It was, a, it was a lot of money at the time. So this is 20 years ago. Um, and so that journey was st- stressful. I think if any, if you ask anybody about a property journey, they will always say it's stressful. There's very few that runs really smoothly um I put an offer in on a house first that I thought was my dream house and obviously it fell through and I was broken hearted um but then this one came up and it was the it was the it was the best decision um and I remember buying the property and yeah it, it, it there were delays for no reason there was there was no reason so it was like confusing I don't know why I can't you know I'm ready with my deposit and we've got everything in place very confusing seemed to be so many different people and organizations that you had to speak to um, there seemed like a lot of money wasted in duplicating things that must have been done hundreds of times before um, and I remember actually one of the first nights spent there um, painting the house, so, you know, I was still living at my mum and dad, so nips there after work every evening to paint the house. And I remember just hearing this train going past, thinking, I didn't even realise there was a railway track just behind the house. And I was thinking, what have I done? What have I done? Because you don't spend much time looking at a house, really, do you? A little show around, you might go back there again. So you're making a massive decision, one of the biggest investments you'll make in your life, um, and I've probably spent longer choosing a 1999 dress 
from Zara than I have um, buying that property. So very stressful um, and confusing at 23. So from that, I would say we need to start speaking to young people earlier about the process, the journey, um, what's expected, the terminology, the risks. Um, so, and I do, I've, I've still got a few properties now. I've managed to keep um, and, and rent it out. Uh, and again, that's stressful. There's other people living in your home that nothing seemed to go wrong when you were living in it. And then everything seems to go wrong when somebody Always else is living way. in it. <laughs> um, and I managed that for a little while. I managed two properties for a little while and it just, it was just too much. I'd panic every time I'd see a message coming through from a tenant. Um, and it might be really small, but I would panic. I'd be like, oh, the house is going to burn down or something's going to fall over. or um, And I... You know, I, I would I would feel really anxious about that. So very quickly got a property management company to manage those properties, which it's for me, it's worth its weight in gold from a um, an anxiety release perspective. Mm. Yeah. It's it's interesting to say things like that, because um, in, in my experience, obviously, I've been doing this now for 21 years this year. Blimey. <laughs> Two decades worth of my life. Um, and you're not the only one who feeds back the same same level of stress you know i used to i used to speak to a lot of our clients and i used to turn around and say look this isn't a five grand car loan you know this is a very very important decision it's a very big decision um it's a lot of money no matter what level it is you know you're borrowing hundreds of thousands of pounds in some cases and you know the the fact that i find with if you look at estate agents, for instance, um, there's good and bad estate agents out there. There is. Um, it's the same with anything. However, estate agents aren't regulated. Um, I think, you know, if you take the, the American model, um, realtors in the States, they have to pay a huge sums of money and they have to undertake two pretty sizable exams, mm. um, which, you know, we wouldn't go to a hospital to have an operation to, you know, I don't know, have your tonsils out without seeing a qualified ENT surgeon who has done X amount of years, years and years and years of, of paper-based education and then years and years and years of residency um, to actually shape their craft. And I, I don't understand how we as a country have not got that level of, of protection from, you know, from, you know, poor unprofessional estate agents in some cases um the education the education piece is an interesting one because there's i i always see it as it's the estate agent's job to educate because they're living and breathing it every single day and the there's some agents out there who are very good at that education piece especially with first-time buyers um but there's equally ones who are you know the thing that used to gripe me something chronic was when you're going around a house with an estate agent who is new or been doing it straight out of school or whatever it may be um and they're taking you around a house and saying this is the lounge this is the kitchen and i just feel like i just want to turn around and say no really it's a lounge oh funny that because it's got a sofa in it. oh it's a kitchen oh yeah because it's got a kitchen sink 
they're not they're not you know they're not educated in the fact of actually talking to that particular person and saying right what you know what are you wanting out of a property what are you buying it for is it for investment is it for you know is your family growing because you're having a baby or whatever it is you know it, it you need to delve deeper and i think that human element is somewhat lost when it comes to buying houses um and it, it's very very interesting because part part of this this season in this podcast is to really get a, a handle on experiences from the consumer to really understand what the problem is and what we can do to try and lobby and change that um you know crikey I, i'm the world's worst person to take on a house viewing absolutely the world's worst person to take on it because i've been on that side and i know all of the things that they say and you know i don't want to turn around and say lie but the, you know because they're bound by property misdescriptions act and things like that but it does happen because if they don't know the intricacies of that house or that area some of them have never even seen that house before. Yeah. You know, how can you sell a product if you've never seen it? I, 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 I find it fascinating. So have you ever sold any houses? <coughs> no. No. <laughs> You're very lucky because that's a whole different experience. <laughs> and I'm not looking forward to it. No, no. I'm really not looking forward just go, to just it come at and all. Just come and talk to us, Jane. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, genuinely, um, I just don't even want to think about it i think that's probably why a lot of people stay put i think so the stress of it all and you know i've got i've got friends that have been buying and selling over the last few years and just yeah super stressful mm. super stressful Absolutely. the unknown the balancing if you are it's, it's, it's a luxurious position when you're a first-time buyer isn't it because you don't have anything to sell and you're literally like we can we can go for it and yeah so i don't want to think about that transition from moving from one into another yeah plus i got a lot of stuff that i just you know don't want to sort out <laughs> <laughs> right okay so bringing this full circle then um i i i've i've had a bit of a a sort of a a really interesting thought about how we can engage the next guest so what i'm going to ask you to do jane is to ask a question for the next guest and then what we will do in the next podcast is we will ask that question as the opening opening question to see what their thoughts are so what's that question jane um that question would be how have they managed to get that balance of um not maintaining control and giving that responsibility to people that they manage um, and feeling comfortable with that. Excellent. Super stuff. Well, thank you for joining us on our, our first ever podcast, Jane. Appreciate your time.